Is this on? Test, test. Test, test. How are we doing? Hello? Okay, we're good. All right. If you want to stand and clap in your living rooms, that's fine. We'll go for it here. So, all right, good to see you guys again, and uh, we're going to have some fun today. I want to thank Josh Lawrence for uh, lifting up this podium since it weighs more than my wife, so thank you for that. So I want to talk to you about something interesting today. So this is a topic I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe our movement doesn't address as much, so we're going to hit some of this stuff. So uh, turn with me in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. We're going to start with Acts 9, 31. Here's what it says. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. That sounds pretty good. Now, uh, why was this happening? And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I feel like it's easy to fall into one of those two camps, to really emphasize the, uh, the uh, comfort of the Holy Spirit or to emphasize the fear of the Lord. And so I think we can picture what both of those camps look like. But actually, we need to bring balance to the force and actually walk in both of those things. So um, it's easy to emphasize one or the other. So let's talk about this for a moment. So when I was a teenager, I went up to a lake and I was walking barefoot. And so I don't know about you, like, I don't have like those rough feet. They're like, they're kind of like if baby skin was lotioned every day, that's kind of like what my feet would be like. And so it's not like, you know, repelling to anything. And so somehow I stepped on this little metal shard of uh, something, some metal, metal shard, and it gets uh, jutted into my foot. And so I, I you know, kind of tried to ignore it for a little bit. And then it started kind of uh, growing an infection the next morning. And so again, so we're out camping, which I hate, you know, like, why would you try to pretend to be homeless, you know? Anyway, and so we're up there camping, and so for some reason, it seemed like a good idea to get a dirty steak knife. I don't know that it was like filthy, but it wasn't clean. It was like already used. And I tried to dig out the metal shard with the, um, with the dirty steak knife, and surprise, those biology classes about microbes were actually true. And so the infection spread. I didn't get it all out or whatever I did in there. And so about two days later, I woke up, and I had red streaks running through my foot. And so I, I woke it was like from the time I went to bed to the time I woke up, something happened in the foot that wasn't good. So I got red streaks running through my foot. So, I mean, I couldn't even put pressure on it. And I think my parents, I don't know if they thought like I was being like a big baby because they're like, oh, just go drive yourself to the doctor. And, and I'm feeling like I'm about to die, you know? And so, uh, you know, apparently I had a um, history of being melodramatic a little bit, apparently. So, all right. Anyway, so I drive myself to the doctor and he takes one look at it. He's like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. And so he says, here's what we're going to do. He says, I want you to lay in your stomach. And he says, I want you to grip the sides of the table. So I mean, take out my shoes and say, lay on my stomach, grip the sides of the table. He says, you're going to feel some pressure. Now, when a doctor, no, and he pulls out this needle that looked like a small telescope, I'm like, hold on, what, what are you about to do? He's like, just hold on, just hold on tight. So no anesthetic for the thing. So he sticks a shot in the bottom of my baby feet. And um, the, the pressure, I mean, it felt like my foot was about to give birth to like a chimpanzee or something like that. That's what pressure got interpreted as. So I'm on there, I'm gripping this thing. I about come off the table. And he has to give me three of these shots. And so he digs the thing out and it does it all, wraps my foot up. And uh, he, I forget how many days he says. It was like, hey, if you'd have gone another two or three days, we would have had to amputate your foot. Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord, I just think, <laughs> so, uh, you know, here's the thing. That's the kind of doctor you want. Uh, you don't want a doctor who, uh, here, let me just make this statement, love requires judgment. You don't want a doctor who's like, you know what, that little thing, and I don't want to bother it, you know, or, you know, I, I don't want to do it. What will people think if we cut this whole thing out, you know? And it's like, no, no, that thing's actually killing you, okay? Like, if you have a tumor, you don't want a doctor who's like, you know, let's just leave a little bit of it in there, you know? Let's, let's not be dramatic and take the, no, no, you want the whole tumor taken care of. Love requires judgment. I love a quote from uh, Mike Bickle. He's a pastor. He says this, all of God's judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with love. 
I want you to get this picture. Sin came into the world like an infection. It is spreading. It is ruining everything that it touches. It is contaminating everything good that God had made. It creates this breach, this chasm between God and man. And listen, judgment had to happen upon that sin that was destroying everything that God loved because he's holy. Listen, you don't want a God who's like, ah, is this destroying your life? It's not that big of a deal. Let's just, let's just kind of, let's just try to put a Band-Aid on it. And they're like, no, no, you want that thing taken care of. It's destroying everything good on the planet. But here's the most amazing thing. God, God, Jesus and God the, and the Holy Spirit, they get together with this crazy plan before the foundation of the world. They already knew this was going to happen. And here's what happened is God's justice, his goodness determined that he had to judge sin. But because of his love, Jesus says, I will take the punishment for that sin. Isn't that interesting? God's love and his judgment come into that. So Jesus volunteers. He satisfies, satisfies the appetite for law and for judgment. And um, not only did he do that, so God, Jesus didn't just take our punishment, but now we are qualified to receive the same reward that Jesus received. Are you guys getting like the craziness of, not, I don't know about you, but if I would have just like canceled my appointment for hell, that would have been enough. That would have been amazing. But for me to now be qualified to receive the same blessings as Jesus, it's absolutely amazing, okay? I want you guys to get this. The basic truth of New Covenant Christianity is that Jesus was judged for the sin of all humanity. You have to get this point, okay? This is huge. Why am I saying this? Because you're not going to be able to move in the compassion of God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, if you think God's about to wipe you out at any moment. If you think he's just about had enough and about to give you a divine backhand, right? Listen, when I say that Jesus paid for the sin of all the world, I'm not saying that everybody's saved. That gift of salvation has to be received by faith, okay? But, um, so here's what happens is people are saying God is judging America. Let me ask you a question. Is God judging America right now? No. Um, you know, what about the coronavirus? Like, I, I, you know, people are saying, you know, it's from, God told me it's from heaven. You know, God uses sickness on uh, new covenant believers and all this stuff. We're going to get to that here in just a second. Um, people said that the earthquake in Haiti a bunch of years ago was God's judgment on a nation that has voodoo as their national religion. Remember Hurricane Katrina? People said it was God's judgment on New Orleans for, the, for its Mardi Gras and its wickedness. Uh, I th- always thought that was interesting because it seemed like God had bad aim. Remember that, that hurricane, because the part that was hit the hardest was Biloxi, Mississippi, one of the most impoverished areas. If God was going to judge the Mardi Gras, it would have seemed like only the people like, committing the sins would have like, drowned in the flood, and everyone else would have been like, like, apparently God had bad aim on that one there. The terrorist attacks in 9-11 were said, said to be God's judgment on America. Any guesses what they're saying about the coronavirus? It's God's judgment against America. It's to wake up his church, to get him to finally pray. Can God make something good happen out of any of these instances? Absolutely. Because he is so good, because he is so amazing, he can work in the midst of evil, but don't, don't, because he's working good in the midst of evil, don't accuse him of being the author of the evil. So what happens is there's a tragedy, and people experience God in the midst of tragedy, and they say, oh, that God must have been the author. No, no, no. That is not, God has not sent sickness, disease, calamity, heartbreak. He paid for all that stuff on the cross. People say this, um, if God doesn't judge San Francisco, then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that sounds so holy, doesn't it? It just sounds so righteous. Here's the truth, guys. If God does judge San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus. You have to get this. Either God judged Jesus for all of our sin, and that actually meant something, or we are all in trouble. Because <laughs> if Jesus wasn't enough, then we all in trouble. I'll just put it that way, all right? And so um, I know there's scripture examples of God's judgment upon nations, upon individuals, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Noah's flood. But you have to understand, there is a 
Huge difference between the way God dealt with people before the cross and the way he dealt with them after the cross. Uh, listen to John 12, 32. Uh, this is Jesus. He said, the time for judging this world has come. If we were to stop there, be like, yeah, that's right. It's about time some of these people got this. When Satan, the, world, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. So when is this judgment of the world going to happen? Here's the very next verse. Verse 32, Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Jesus said that when he was lifted up on the cross, he would draw all of God's judgment upon himself. He was like a lightning rod that extinguished all of God's wrath. Remember, love has to judge. Love has to judge. It has to go against that sin, that cancer, that poison, that infection. It has to do it. Jesus drew all of that and so that we could be released. With... Jesus got what we deserved. So we could get what he deserved. It's, it's just an unbelievable exchange in here. Can I hear an amen out there? Amen. All right, all right, I can hear it. Yeah, all right. You guys are really yawning. It's good. Apostle Paul wrote this to believers in Rome in Romans 5. And we're about to get to Ananias and Sapphira in case you're about to go get coffee or something, all right? The Apostle Paul wrote this to believers in Rome, uh, Romans 5, 9. Uh, and because, I, unfortunately, I um, changed a whole bunch of the verses for the tech guys without telling them. And so, um, so, I'll be getting to some of the ones I gave you in just a few moments, but you guys are doing great, all right? So it's them. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> Romans 5, 9, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Some of you need to write that on your mirror. Some of you might need, I, 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 maybe you even need to get a tattoo. I don't know. I mean, Jesus says he's got your name engraved on his hand, so apparently there's some scriptural precedent for these things. Okay, 1 John 2, 2. I want you to see that Jesus paying for the sins was not just for believers. He paid for the sins of the whole world. Write this one down, 1 John 2, 2. It says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Now, how many of you use the word propitiation here in the last 24 hours? It, it's a Jewish sacrificial term, which means all the wrath for sin was taken upon this person. He literally carried all the wrath. You ready for this? Um, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Ready for this? And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Get this phrase in your heart. Not everyone is redeemed, but all are reconciled. All the obstacles between God and his heart have been removed, so all that he has for you is goodness. God is standing up there with his arms open with a giant eternal hug of relentless love, ready to embrace you. All we have to do is repent, which means turn around, think, think differently about God, and say, God, uh, you're going to just run into that love. You're going to run into that hug. You're going to have to climb over obstacles to get away from you. I guarantee if you're listening here and you are away from God, God has been doing things throughout your whole life, planting, planting seeds, protecting you, putting good things, even in the midst of an evil world where or, you know, there's an enemy, that uh, he's been doing things to, uh, to come and show you who he is. God is not personally judging people or nations today for their sins. He judged Jesus for their sins. Let me hit the pause button, Okay. God is not judging anybody in this life. There will be a judgment in the afterlife. I want you guys to get it. Once you die, you will stand before God in judgment for how you dealt with Jesus. And if you're a believer, you will stand before him to get rewarded for what you did that will stand the test of time for eternity. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But in this life, you will not be judged. That should be good news to somebody. Yeah, Jim, well, what about Ananias and Sapphira? Doesn't that story prove that God is still judging believers? All right, I'm glad you asked. You were wondering that. I, I, I could hear it. I could just feel it. I could feel it. I didn't even plan on talking about it today, but I could still hear it, even though I posted on Facebook. Want to hear about Anna? Yeah, okay, here we go. 
Let's look at that story. And I want you to see it's really setting up a contrast. The story doesn't just start in Acts chapter 5. It starts uh, right before the next chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and I believe we have these slides. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I want you to see this picture. He's painting of true believers, and then he's going to say, but in chapter 5, here's Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? So what's the characteristic of true believers? They were of one heart and soul. We're going to see Ananias and Sapphira. It said their heart was filled with Satan. Are you seeing a contrast here? One heart and soul for the Lord, and these other people had, were filled with Satan. We haven't got to the filled with Satan part yet. Okay, now the full number of those who believed, speaking of Christians, were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So this was a time where they were recognizing that their possessions, they all belonged to the Lord, they were willing to share them. This was something that was voluntary, not mandatory. I want you guys to get this, because um, after this, they didn't do this anymore. Uh, verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who has anyone who had need. I want you to notice they were laying it at the apostles' feet. That's going to be something interesting, because something else is going to happen at the apostles' feet, and in essence, if I were going to fall dead at the apostles' feet. I'm telling you, this is a story in contrast. Unless you get the contrast, you're going to miss what the story's about. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Well, he got a whole little resume there, didn't he? So it's giving us an example of one of these disciples who did something with the land. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 1, but... The word but connects it to the previous story, and it's providing us a contrast. Okay, look for these little clues when you're reading. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want you to notice this contrast here. We got the, you got the, um, the, the true believers. They were, they, they were being honest about it. They were doing it, but these people were actually deceiving something here, okay? It was, it was completely under the control, but they were acting like, yeah, we stole this, and we're giving everything. We're going to find out a little bit more about this. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and, notice there's two things, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Satan, why has Ananias filled your heart? So apparently Peter's getting some kind of prophetic insight here. He's getting some kind of word of knowledge because it's not obvious from what's going on. He's getting supernatural knowledge and calls this thing out. Verse 4, Peter continues, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have, are you ready for this, contrived this deed in your heart? Are you getting the picture here? Satan's filling their heart. There's an intentional plot to deceive. What is so funny? Oh, okay, I switched the words. Satan, okay, my wife loves nothing more than when I make these little switches and I say Jesus is God or, some, or Jesus is Satan or something like that. I, I make these ridiculous statements sometimes in the flurry of words, and so I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will help you sort out my, uh, <laughs> my mixing-ups when I, when I wix my merds. Okay, there we go. All right, thank you. No, Mary makes an important clarification. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Um, I, I want you to get this. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. It's interesting. One of the biggest liars of all history, Peter, who's known for his lie, is now has supernatural knowledge about this guy who's about to lie here. 
But remember what it said. It said, great grace was upon them all, the true believers. We're about to see. It's not so with, uh, with Ananias. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. Well, I guess so. Uh, verse 6, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. I want you to uh, notice something here. Uh, it's important when we're reading a passage to not try to make it fit into our theology. And so as I was studying this passage, I said, Lord, I, I know that Jesus was fully judged. I know that. But if there's a parallel truth or a truth intention that needs to come and prune my heart, let it be. I want you guys to get the approach to Scripture here. Okay, I, I, it's, We're not trying to say, well, God couldn't do anything. What happened here? Um, I'm about to give you some good stuff here. That's, that's going to encourage you. All right, so let's continue the story here. But I want, you, I want you to notice, though, it wasn't just a demon that filled Satan's heart. It wasn't say he was demonized. It didn't say a spirit. It was Satan himself. Okay? Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts. There's only three times where Satan himself appears. Luke chapter 4, Satan appears, and he's tempting Jesus. That's a pretty colossal, grand, cosmic-scale event. Luke 22, 3, it says that Satan entered into the heart of Judas. That's a pretty grand-scale cosmic event. And here... And the, the, only the third time in all of Luke and Acts, the, Luke wrote both, both of those books, do we have Satan himself getting involved in this thing. I want you to see, this is a high level of demonic activity going on. This is not just somebody who's innocently sinned and exaggerated. And, you know, I, there's so many crazy interpretations of this passage that make it look like, well, God's showing you he's against greed. Well, if God's no respecter of person, no one would be alive listening to this thing. Okay? All right. I want, you to, I want you to get the high level of demonic that's going on there. He filled their hearts. Let me ask you this. If Satan has filled your heart, is there any room left for Jesus? If I've got a glass of water here and I say, you know what, I want to add some orange juice to it, there's no room for the orange juice because it's already full of water. Ananias and Sapphira were not believers. There's a contrast between... But here's the problem. If they're not believers and it's still God killing unbelievers, we still got a problem, Right? This is called tension. You guys feeling it? Chapter 5, verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife, this is Sapphira, came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? This is the third description that we see of what they've done. The first was that Satan filled their heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. I want you to see, this was not trying to deceive just the church. That was a part of it. This was an actual confrontation with the Spirit of God. Satan filled their heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, not just a man. You guys, you guys got to read these things here. But Peter said, or how is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? We see that phrase a lot of times in the Bible. One of them that's very interesting is when they were complaining to Moses, and like, aren't you going to give us any food? Aren't you going to give us any water in the desert? And he says, how is it that you guys have come together to test the Spirit of the Lord? There's three different passages in the Old Testament that describe that one event in Exodus. And one of them is in Psalms, and it says this. It says, they knew the miracles of the Lord, and they didn't care about them, and they tested the Spirit of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? He's using that same phrase, they tested the Spirit of the Lord. I want you guys to see. Remember, it says there was great miracles going on with the apostles. There was just awesome things happening. And Ananias and Sapphira are in the middle of this. They're seeing the works of the Lord. And in the middle of it, they defiantly have satanic empowerment. And they're going to go and they're going to test the Spirit of God. They're not going to just lie to man. They were, it was a direct, because this is a warfare passage between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. 
This is not just two people innocently, just kind of Satan put some thoughts in their heads. This is a high level of demonic going on here. How is it that you have agreed to test the spirit of the Lord? You knew exactly what you were doing. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Again, I thought that was interesting. The, the righteous people were laying the money down at the apostles' feet, and here she lays down at the apostles' feet under death. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard all these things. First of all, nowhere in this passage does it say that God killed anybody. You guys are, you guys are seeing this, right? I mean, there's, there's lots of explanations people are trying to come up with, and I think they're missing the intensity of the satanic involvement and the fact that it was between the Spirit of God and Satan. In this thing. So let's look at what's going on. Here's what I see happening. I see this is a warfare situation. I do not believe Ananias and Sapphira were saved. I believe they were involved in the demonic. And they were trying, it was a satanic plot for them to infiltrate the pure move of God by trying to buy their way in. By trying, by, by trying to buy their way in. The key, key question here is uh, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Again, there's only three times in all of Luke and Acts, which is like a third of the New Testament, where Satan himself shows up on the scene. This is a high-level event. And again, if Satan has filled your heart, then there's no room left for Jesus. This is someone who's completely given themselves over to Satan. Remember, there, there's passages that says that uh, don't let the, Satan have a foothold. Don't let him have a stronghold. There's a whole different level when he has filled your heart, when you have completely given yourself over to the demonic. I heard Graham Cook tell the story. It was interesting. He talked about a witch and a warlock. One was from Asia. One was from Africa. <clears throat> and um, there, was, there was this confrontation between the spirit of... Uh, they, they were there. They were there to curse. They were there to be evil. They were there to oppose the spirit of God. And uh, when they did this, uh, there was... Uh, what happened is when someone who has completely given themselves over to Satan comes against the spirit of God directly like that... When it's that intense and they're confronted with the Spirit of God and they will not let go of the satanic part, they fell over dead. The witch and the warlock dead. Your body cannot handle that level of stress and warfare. I remember Bobby Connor telling a story of these five witches who came against him in Salem, uh, witches in Salem. I think it was over Halloween. They came against him and uh, they were there to curse. They were to do all this stuff. They were there for evil intent. And Bobby gave him a warning and said, if you guys do not repent tonight, you will be dead. And three of them repented, two of them ended up dying. Why? Because when you, ha when you have given yourself over to Satan, and you are coming into the presence of the Holy Spirit like that, and you will not let go, your body simply cannot take it. Josh, come tell us that one story. Yeah, so Jim asked me to share this story. Uh, I was preaching a crusade in uh, Uganda, Africa, and my friend Nicholas, who was there, he could attest to this. I know he's watching right now, but um, same scenario. Uh, we had tens of thousands of people there. We had thousands of people getting saved. Miracles were breaking out. That night, I believe, we had a lady who was 80 years old, born blind, completely healed, received her sight. Um, and we had a, a young boy who was mute that began to sing for the first time uh, at the age of 12. And just miracles breaking out, a, you know, picture, just holy chaos, just amazing things breaking out. And then in the midst of all of what the Holy Spirit was doing, uh, about 12 Muslim imams rushed the stage and they began to throw stones at myself and our team. And um, 
And luckily, uh, many people in the crowd, they started to tackle the people and they drug them, uh, you know, over to security. But there was uh, one guy who just kept persistently shouting, interrupting the gospel and what uh, Jesus was doing. And uh, just this holy boldness came over me and I looked at him and I said, the Lord rebuke you. And uh, just he, he silenced and we just carried on and, and thousands of people get saved and, and healed and uh, delivered. It was just an amazing, beautiful thing. Uh, about six hours later, all the lights were off. The sound system was off. This man starts yelling out uh, because his body had frozen. He was in the middle of the crusade field. He could not move his body. And he was uh, yelling for me to say, what did we do to him? And uh, all, all I did was simply say, the Lord rebuke you. And uh, so we went to him and I explained to him that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus is the true God and that every other God is an idol. Every other God bows in reverence to who Jesus is and whoever he's serving is subordinate to Jesus. He is, he is the ultimate, the, the supreme, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And uh, I, I told him that you, you will not be able to move. You will stand here until you die unless you repent. And uh, he, he repented, uh, asked Jesus into his heart. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and he, w- he regained control of his body. And, uh, and the next night, he came back and testified on stage what God did for him. So, Come on. It's almost like the Bible, isn't it? It's so good. So good. The Bible does not teach that there is no judgment ever. There's just no judgment in this life. There is judgment in the afterlife. For believers, it will be to reward us. Listen, guys, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He took the sins of the world, but he's still judging people and killing people and smiting people. Like, you can't have it. Listen, guys, if if Jesus did not die for all of our sin, we are all screwed. We are all in severe trouble. We are all about to get the divine whammy at any minute. I saw a prophet said, God's sending back the days of Ananias and Sapphira to the church. It meant God was going to start killing people. Guys, <laughs> the gospel, read it. New covenant, it's good news. Here's what I want to do. Um, I believe that some people have moved to the fear of, of the Lord's side so much that they don't recognize the, the comfort of the Holy Spirit because they're afraid that God's going to judge them. They're afraid he's about to put the whammy on them. They're afraid that he's just about had enough of them and he's going to teach them a lesson with some sickness. And so here's what I want to do. If you're in that situation, perfect love casts out fear. There's an unhealthy fear of the Lord that drives you away from him. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But if you're here and you've been kind of afraid of God, he's just you know waiting for the other shoe to drop, I want you to have the complete freedom of the gospel that Jesus was judged fully for your sin whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. Now, for you to receive the benefit of that gift of salvation, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to t- receive it by faith. You're going to have to say, God, I'm done living my own life. I turn from my sin, and God, I'm trusting you. And you're not just trusting him with your afterlife. You're trusting him with this life, your, your finances, your, your marriage. It's going to be awesome. Okay, but if that's you, uh, and you're saying, God, I've been, I've been living in fear. I've been worried that my sin... The, the... Guys, I'm not saying there's not sowing and reaping. <laughs> if you rob a bank, God's still going to love you while you're in jail. Okay, just you know, if you uh, you know, if you drink for forty years and you get cirrhosis delivered, God's still going to love you. And here's some good, love you. He's, here's some good news. He can heal you too. He paid for that on the cross, just like He did for your sin. So don't think here when I'm not saying that. Oh, everything is going to be fine. You can just sin. we're going to get to that in just a second here. All right. But if you're if you're watching this, you're listening to this, and you're uh, you're having a hard time getting close to God 
because of that unhealthy fear that's driving away from him. Let's just, let's just deal with that right now. Holy Spirit, we just repent of thinking that you're angry, grumpy, judgmental, and Lord, we just embrace the fullness of what Jesus has done. We look at that cross, and we just thank you, God, that uh, all of my sin was judged in Jesus. Guys, that means all of your past, present, and future sin was taken care of in one day. Three nails and a crown. Lord, we thank you for that truth. Lord, I pray that it will set people free in the name of Jesus. God is not schizophrenic. He's not taking all his judgment on Jesus. And then, okay, you guys got the picture, all right? Now, the other side of the compassion of the Holy Spirit is the fear of the Lord. Did you notice in the Ananias? Oh, slow down. Okay, thank you, babe. I appreciate that. All right. <clears throat> Did you notice in the Ananias and Sapphira story that great fear came upon the church? Great fear came on everybody, Okay. I love this verse in Hosea 3.5. It says, They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. The fear of the Lord is the key to tasting his goodness. I'm just going to leave that one there. The fear of the Lord is talked about in Psalms. It's talked about in Proverbs. It says it's the beginning of wisdom. Okay? Some talk about the fear of the Lord, and it's easy to downgrade what it actually is. They say, oh, it just means reverence. No, it means fear. <laughs> That's why it's called the fear of the Lord. Okay, it's way bigger than reverence. When the policeman pulls you over with his lights, you revere the policeman. You show respect to that. Okay, um, standing before God is more than just reverence. Okay, as we're going to look at it, it is it is fear. I remember the first time I encountered the fear of the Lord that I remember. I was in seminary. I was very proud. I was, you know, like to debate people. Just was kind of obnoxious and uh, very religious, I guess. And so uh, a group of us went down to the Brownsville Revival. So it was October 1996, I remember. Mary was pregnant. And so we took a bus down there, so we're at the thing. And so uh, during worship, one of the nights, I don't remember what night it was, but the holiness and fear of the Lord came upon me, and I am down on my face with my nose in the carpet, and I didn't think God was going to kill me, but I was scared to death. I am trembling. Like, it felt like every cell was trembling. And I felt like if I looked up, it was, like, was going to be over. I don't think God was going to come. I'm just telling you, it was, it was fear. Your compassionate father is also a consuming fire. If the only side of God that you know is compassionate father, you have an incomplete revelation of what he's really like. I'm talking to this side of the room because that's the only people in the building right now. There's not a whole lot here. And they're all social distancing, so they're all over the place here. All right. Anytime I see a believer and they just want to have fun with Jesus and they never get that anchor established in their life concerning the fear of the Lord, I get concerned. Because people should be afraid of approaching the Lord just any old way that they want to. Listen, if your only time with God is tickle me Elmo time, where it's just laugh and giggles, I'm concerned for you because you're going to create a Christianity that's all about you and getting your needs met. There's a fear of the Lord that says, you know what, guys? There will be a day where you will stand before God and you will give an account for your one and only life. And it's not going to be tickle me almost time. It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a holy fear thing. Uh, it, says, it says everyone will, every knee will bow. It will be involuntary. Right now you have a choice on whether to serve God. Okay? When you see him in his glory, it will be involuntary. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It will be a great and terrible day of the Lord. It will be great for the believers. It will be terrible for those who are not believers. People say things like this, my daddy would never point out my sin. Well, then you're not a son or daughter. 
you're an illegitimate child. Hebrews 12 has a whole chapter on this that says God will chastise you on your sin. Chastise doesn't mean he's going to like, give you welts on your butt. It doesn't mean he's going to send calamity and sickness and judgment. It doesn't mean it will not be pleasant for you. If you are going on in a life of sin and you are, and you are intentionally hardening your heart to God, I will say this, there will be a time where he takes you to the woodshed and it will not feel good. Why is he doing this? Because if his love will not keep you from that sin, then his fear will if you're, not too, if you're too immature to handle it. I remember uh, the, I went on a three-day retreat to have some just love time with Jesus. It's going to be so amazing. I just can't wait. You know, I was going to get all this revelation. And the Lord spoke one thing to me. He dealt with a heart issue of pride that I was manifesting. And uh, I cried for three days. I remember for the first day, I laid on my face and wept. I was just, I was undone. I couldn't believe the blind spot I had. I couldn't believe how ugly it was. And I remember there's a Jason Upton song where he says, lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all. I can't sing it like Jason. But um, I remember I sat there and I just rewound that song for probably six hours and just laid there. It was, it was terrible. It was humbling. It was, but it but here's what I know about the word of the Lord. When he does that, his words cut and heal all at the same time. I was so thankful that he pointed it out because I didn't want to have it, but my heart was so broken that I had manifested that kind of arrogance. There's a fear of the Lord that drives us away from God. That's an unhealthy fear. You see that in the uh, story of the parable of the talents when the guy says, Master, I knew you were a man who, sowed where, who reaped where you did not sow and tried to harvest where you did not plant. The guy's wrong perception of God kept him from experiencing God because the beginning of the parable, it says he gave them an amount of money because he wanted to reward them. That was the whole intent. That, that was the character of the father in that passage. But uh, John, who, um, uh, the one who wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, he wrote that. We, we, have, we see pictures of him laying his head on the, on the chest of Jesus, such an intimacy. But when he saw Jesus in his resurrected form, it says he fell down before him as a dead man. Same John, two different revelations of Jesus. There is a comfort of the Holy Spirit where we can lay our head on his chest and we can love on him and we can have all that stuff. But there is another side where he is risen and his eyes are blazing with fire and he demands a holiness. Not our own holiness. Holiness is our response. It's the, there is a beauty in holiness in which we, which we experience it. It's not this legalistic, I have to try. It's, God, I'm taking what you're doing in my life, and I'm working it out so others can see it as an offering back to you. And it's something that's beautiful because I'm reflecting him. I'm representing what he's like to this world. Jesus modeled it. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Listen to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. I'm almost done. For those of you stomachs beginning to growl, don't run to the fridge yet. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, in other words, when Jesus was living in physical form and human body, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus wasn't just sitting there, to him who was able to save from death. You ready for this? He was heard because of his godly fear. Why were his prayers heard? Godly fear. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, ready? With reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Last one, Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in my absence, ready for this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
If fear was just reverence, there wouldn't be trembling, guys. Here's how the Passion Translation puts it. As you live in holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. Fear and awe protects us from familiarity. Otherwise, we're going to reduce our life and ministry to things that are humanly possible. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a quick activation on this. Is, um, if you are living, if you're doing things that you know are wrong and just saying, God will forgive me, it's in his job description, uh, you're in a dangerous spot. Grace is all about freedom, but part of that is restraint. It teaches you to say no to sin. And so if you are continuing in sin, you are going down a dangerous path, and God will love you, and uh, he, will, he, will, he will go after you. But why take it that far? Sin has horrible consequences. And so if you have been living on the comfort of the Holy Spirit side and ignoring the fear side, I feel like right now is a time for you to just take time and just say, Holy Spirit, I repent of these things that I know that I'm doing that are wrong, and I'm asking you to give me a grace and a strength to step into freedom. And pray this, Holy Spirit, I open myself to your majesty, your wonder, the parts of you that would lead me to have fear and awe. And though we recognize that one day we will stand before you and give an account, and it will be a fearful thing. And so, Lord, let us live uh, our days in light of that and not just get caught up in our own affairs. Thank you, Lord. In conclusion, in case you missed it, God is not judging ISIS. God is not judging homosexuals. God is not judging Christians. God is not judging abortionists. God is not judging criminals. God is not judging Democrats. God is not judging Republicans. God is not judging the progressives. He's not judging people kneeling at football games. He is not judging presidents and senators and Supreme Court justice candidates. He's not using a virus or sickness to judge people. He's not judging you, and he's not judging me. He has fully judged Jesus, and there will be a day when this world is wrapped up, and life as we know it is over, and the books will be opened, and every man will appear before God, and some will be judged for what they've done, and others will be rewarded so they can receive praise from God and hear well done. Steal, kill, and destroy is someone else's job description. Don't ever think that any of the the calamities are from his hand. But here's some good news, guys. Even in the midst of this virus, God's goodness can be seen. His people are rising up. Of course, this is a great time for us to get purified and to intercede and to break off the familiarity and just doing life and recognize there is a mission here. Of course, but do not think that because he's good in the midst of a tragedy, he's the author of that tragedy. Your compassionate Father is also a consuming fire. I'm going to have Josh Lawrence come close us out. Bless you guys. Uh, If you're watching from home, just hit the like button like a million times. That was amazing. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Uh, I just want to pray for just a few things and uh, and then pray for you online here. Um, You know, as a church, we... um, we love to pray. We love prayer. Uh, the Bible says that his house will be called a house of prayer. And so I want to just take a few moments and, you know, if you're with your families at home, uh, you can grab somebody's hand next to you, uh, whatever you want to do um, in your home um, and, uh, and pray with us with just a few things. Let's pray for our leaders, just our government leaders. They're under a tremendous amount of stress, a tremendous amount of, uh, um, you know, pressure to make decisions and things like that. So father, I just thank you for our leaders. I thank you for church leaders. I thank you for government leaders. Lord, we thank you for the mayors of our local cities. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for our governors. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with your wisdom and with your counsel, Lord, that you would surround 
surround them with that godly counsel. Lord, we pray for President Trump. We pray for his cabinet. We pray for the doctors and the team that he's assembled uh, in the midst of this crisis. We pray for wisdom. We pray for uh, strategy from the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray, uh, Lord, that we've seen an influx of prayer and the White House, and Lord, we pray that it would get turned up a notch, Lord, that uh, that it would be proclaimed to the nations that one nation under God, invisible with liberty and justice for all, we release that a grace over our entire nation, our government leaders all across this land who are making challenging, tough decisions in this in this time and this moment. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for protection. Is the mic going out? Thank you, Jesus, for protection. Thank you, uh, Holy Spirit, for just filling our government leaders. I pray for dreams and visions. I pray, Lord, that you would open up dreams and visions in the nighttime and speak to our government leaders, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that there is a tide that's shifting in the news and the media, Lord. I pray that they would shift from death and destruction to hope and restoration, Lord. I pray that the, the narrative would begin to change and begin to shift to look what, look what is happening. Look at the good that is coming out of it. Look at how many people have recovered. Look at the nation coming together and rebuilding itself. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. I thank you that you still sit on the throne. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are brooding over this nation, longing and looking for the hearts that are fully yours, Lord. I pray that households all across this nation, all across the world, that as they, uh, as they experience the fear, the doubt, the unbelief, that they would turn to you, they would look to you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. I pray that they would, their hearts would be so knitted and rooted and grounded in your love in this time, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray for divine health. I love the verse that Pastor Jim quotes often, that none in Zion will say that they are sick. And we pray that over Zion Powell and Zion Pickerington. We pray, Holy Spirit, that if there are any who are sick right now, we speak divine health into your household right now in Jesus' name. Any, any person who is sick right now. Uh, we're, we're, we received a testimony this week uh, from our prayer and intercession uh, group that we did on Wednesday of uh, someone who was about to be wheeled to ICU with, with the uh, COVID-19 and uh, there was a sudden turnaround, and they were released from the hospital. Um, and so, Father, I thank you uh, for many more testimonies like that. I pray for suddenlies, the suddenlies of God, that, that health conditions, that, 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 that those with pre-existing conditions would be no more, that they, those pre-existing conditions would no longer exist because of your healing and your wholeness and your health. In Jesus' name, we speak to the households, and we say, be made whole. In Jesus' name, we speak healing right now and whole in, in, in wholeness in Jesus' name. Uh, one other thing I want to pray for, we prayed for this last week, but for the harvesters to arise. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust out reapers into the harvest field. We live in a time where uh, there is no greater time in human history right now that we can begin to harvest. We can begin to reach people with just a simple YouTube or Facebook video. We can, it can reach the nations of the world. We know that right now nations of the world are even watching this broadcast. And so, Father, I just pray and I thank you, Lord, that you are raising 
raising up harvesters all over the world right now. I thank you that there is a burning in the hearts of the harvesters, Lord, that they would be a fire that's shut up in their bones like Jeremiah, and they could no longer be silent. I pray that people would break out of their personality and step into their persona. We've, we've, we've hindered ourselves by saying it's not my personality, it's not my style, but uh, here, here's the, the truth and the reality that Jesus the evangelist lives within you. And so I pray for those who would, would be hindered by fear of man, would be hindered by doubt and unbelief. I pray that Jesus the evangelist would rise up in you, that he has equipped you and he has empowered you for such a time as this. So we speak to the harvesters. We say, harvesters, arise in Jesus' name. We speak the verse in Ephesians where it says, awake, O sleeper, you who have been in a slumber. The evangelists have been in a slumber in this season. We say, arise, awake right now in Jesus' mighty name. I just uh, lastly, I want to just pray for those who who may be watching. And if you're if you're watching this video on on Facebook and on YouTube, I, I would encourage you right now to share this. That we're we're going to share just a, a minute of the gospel message. The gospel is very simple. Uh, I love what Pastor Jim says. The gospel in two words is trust Jesus. And and here's what Jesus said when when he was in the Bible, uh, when he was in his time and in the Bible. This is what it says. He looked at his disciples and he said, "Follow me." Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And if today, if you're willing to say that I want to follow Jesus, if you're willing to deny yourself, if you're willing to look at your life and realize I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you're willing to, to reevaluate re your life and say that I no longer want to live this way in fear, doubt, and unbelief, but I want to stand in the midst of the storm and see that Jesus is still king and that Jesus is still on his throne, if that's you this morning, if you're watching and you've been in fear, if you've been in anxiety, if you've allowed depression to come in, if you're watching this and you don't know where you would go if you were to die tomorrow, I want to encourage you that there is a Savior who loves you. That 2,000 years ago when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and the people began to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. He is the God who saves. He's the God who heals. He's the God who delivers. He's the God who sets you free from all of your afflictions. All of God's judgments were laid upon Jesus, as Jim said. All of his judgments against you were laid upon him. Romans 8.1, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're here, if you're watching and you feel a condemnation, if you feel the weight of your sin, I'm here to tell you there's freedom. I'm here to tell you that Jesus said this. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have to live with the weight of the sin that you've been in. You can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you, I want to invite you to ask Jesus into your heart. I want to invite you to turn your life around. Jesus, the first words that he was recorded as saying is repent for my kingdom is here. Repent just means to change the way that you think, change the way that you do life, change your outlook, change your perspective. It's like taking off of uh, dark sunglasses, shaded glasses, and putting on bright glasses to where you can see clearly. You can begin to see differently. You can begin to look at that life differently, look at calamity and tragedy in a different way because God is good and nothing can stop it.
So if that's you this morning, if you want to make that decision, I would encourage you. We have a number. We have a way that we can connect with you and pray with you. And on the screen, it will be flashing. You can text Jesus to the number on your screen. And we want to follow up with you. We want to pray with you. We want to invite you into the family of God. And, and while you're doing that, while it's flashing, I want to pray for, uh, pray for you. And so if you're in your household, whether it be uh, husbands or wives or, or, or men and women or children, whatever it is, whoever you are right now, if you want to make the decision, if you want to make that, uh, that decision in your heart to follow Jesus, he'll give you the greatest of all miracles. He'll call you his son or his daughter. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads with me in your homes? Father, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you that you paid it all. That the blood that was shed on the cross paid the wages of sin and death. To where when you rose from the dead, you said, oh, death, where is your sting? And grave, where is your victory? That you yourselves, by asking and inviting Jesus into your heart, can have freedom and you can have joy and you can have peace and righteousness. And even more than that, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear what this world has to offer because you live in a different world. You live in the reality that Jesus is king and that he loves you with an everlasting love. And there is nothing that you could do that would ever replace his love for you. Ephesians says that no height, no depth, no width, no breadth, no principality, no power, no ruler of darkness, nothing in heaven, nothing on earth could ever separate you from the love of God. And I pray that as we are inviting Jesus into our hearts, I pray, Holy Spirit, you are the one who makes the cross real to us. You are the one who makes the reality of Jesus and what he paid for real to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill houses right now. Fill the houses of every person, every family watching. And I would pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come into our hearts and reveal Jesus in a greater way. I pray that you would experience the peace that surpasses understanding, that you would experience a joy that is unexplainable, uncontainable joy. And I pray that the Lord would instill in you a righteousness, not of your own accord, but of his righteousness. Righteousness is a right standing with God. It's that you can come boldly before the throne of grace without fear of death, of, uh, fear of death and of punishment because Jesus paid it all. So Holy Spirit, touch every heart, touch every mind, renew marriages, renew uh, prodigals coming home, Lord. I pray for those who are astray, those who maybe are watching, who have been backslidden. You used to follow God, but you're, you've not been living a godly life. I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would press upon you the love of Jesus, that there is no condemnation, but only freedom. And so if you're watching, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of grace. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of all of my sins. And I choose this day that I will no longer live my life according to my flesh according to the desires and the ways of this world. But I choose this day to live in the reality that is you, 
The reality that heaven has come to earth. I cast all of my cares upon you. I lay it all at the foot of the cross. And I ask you to come into my heart and fill me with your presence. Fill me with your peace and fill me with your joy. Jesus, I thank you. And I declare this day that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to invite you to text that number on the bottom of your screen. And we would love to connect with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to get to know you and, and, and see how we can uh, help you walk out this lifestyle with Jesus. To the rest of you, thank you so much for joining us on this broadcast. Uh, Pastor Mary has a word of knowledge. Okay. Um, I, uh, I just keep seeing a woman, um, and I feel like it's something to do with like um, maybe like a trachea or like something has happened right here, like where a trachea would, would be. And you're watching today, and, um, and I just see you. Um, you haven't given up hope that Jesus can heal you. And I just want you to know that he's thinking about you today. And um, I just, I also keep seeing like a white sheet and I don't, I don't know what that has to do with. I don't know if it's a bandage. I don't know, like a white square kind of thing. And, um, but I just, yeah, I just feel that, that hopelessness tries to pull us down over and over again. So we need people in our life to pull us up with hope. And I want to be your hope today because Jesus is right here waiting for you. And so, um, and anybody else, if you need healing today in your body, and I also felt like somebody had a hernia. We just had a friend uh, actually just get healed from a hernia, uh, having a hernia. He's 100% fine, and the hernia went away and everything. So I'm going to pray for, for you if you, have, if you have either of those things, okay? So just close your eyes, and just um, I just want you to lay your own hand on that area that you need healing, whether it's what I named or if there's like another area in your body you need healing. Today is your day. All right, so let's pray. Jesus, I just release you 100% with full power over these bodies right now. We just release hope, first of all. And God, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy in their life. We thank you for your love that just overshadows them, even through the storm. And right now, I just speak to your illness, and I, and I just command you, your body right now, to be healed in the name of Jesus. All pain, I command you to go right now. And um, if that is like a, if there's like a hole right here or something, something there, I just speak complete healing, healing in the throat area, healing in the bronchial tube, uh, whatever, whatever area that is. We just release, release everything that Jesus already paid for on the cross for you today. So, God, we just thank you for healing those hernias. We thank you for uh, healing slip disc, discs today. Thank you, Jesus. We just release your healing touch. Even through live stream, you're good. So in Jesus' name, we just pray and release all that. And if you got healed, we would love for you just to um, just let us know. Throw some comments, you know, up in the in the comment box, and we want to celebrate with you, and we we want to rejoice and uh, share. With you.